My Lupus Living Room is a place to listen to the stories of ordinary, everyday people who are not afraid to share the struggles and successes of living with a chronic illness called lupus. These brave lupians put it all out there to bring us all in. We celebrate people living with lupus. My name is Suzanne. I am a mom, a wife, a business owner, and the CEO of the Lupus Foundation of America's Great Ohio Chapter, and a whole lot more. But most of all, I have lupus. My purpose and my passion are to help other people with lupus. For me, lupus was a lonely, miserable, misunderstood disease. And I'm here to tell you that today, it doesn't have to be. I want to talk more about the things we do not normally talk about. Since lupus impacts mostly women, my lupus living room will have a focus on what it's like to be a woman living with this mysterious, unpredictable disease that has no cause or cure. I know that many would love to connect with others that have lupus. These women are fearless and have extraordinary stories of survival. I'm excited to welcome my not-so-famous guests and with their inspiring stories that offer hope and inspiration to fellow lupians. I believe this project will not only create awareness about lupus, but offer encouragement to those listening. Remember, there is no I in the word lupus, but there is the word us. The Lupus Foundation of America, Great Ohio Chapter is here for you. For your chance to share your story and visit with me, you can reach out to me at Suzanne at Lupus Great Ohio or call 1-888-NO-LUPUS. So for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to my lupus living room where we discuss stories about lupus from both patients and experts points of view. Uh, my name is Adrienne Fernandez. I'm here um, at the Lupus Foundation of America office and I'm filling in for Suzanne Tierney, our CEO, uh, who is not here with us today. So here I am. I am the lead project coordinator here and I want to make sure that you know that everything we talk about um, is not the opinion of the Lupus Foundation of America and you should always refer to your physician about anything that we discuss here today before you take action. So welcome, and uh, I'd like to also say welcome to Dr. Emily Littlejohn. Uh, she is a physician at the Cleveland Clinic um, Department of Rheumatic and Immunologic Diseases, and I will turn it over to, oh, to her. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, as Adrian mentioned, I'm uh, the director of the Lupus Clinic at the Cleveland Clinic main campus. And I wanted to come on here today and talk about some new and emerging therapies in lupus. It's been a very exciting time in the lupus world, both in the scientific world and also in the treatment space. Um, and we finally have a lot of options to really offer our patients to help with new symptoms, old symptoms, um, and just management going forward. I love to hear that because we need a lot of help. Yeah, <laughs> we do. We really do. So it's interesting because if you look at the history of lupus, starting in about the 1900s, we really only have had four FDA approved medicines for lupus, believe it or not. Um, one is steroids, sort of the true blue of lupus, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, aspirin, antimalarials such as plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine, which every patient should be on. Uh, and then cyclophosphamide, which is a high dose chemotherapy that's approved for lupus nephritis or lupus in the kidney. So really the, the, the next big hallmark happens in 2011 when bilibimab or binlista was approved for lupus. And this was actually the first time a drug was approved just for lupus. So these other medicines were used in other spaces for other diseases. And with bilibimab being approved, we had the first lupus drug that was born. 
Uh, so fast forward to 2020, what we consider the lupus renaissance. Mm -hmm. uh, we had three drugs that were approved uh, sort of right in a row, and those were Benlista for lupus in the kidney, Voclosporin uh, for lupus in the kidney, and also anafrolamab which is a drug that's used for systemic lupus. I just want to give a little shout out because this is National Kidney Month. Yep. Um, so it's very important to keep in mind that lupus nephritis or lupus in the kidney is one of the most devastating and serious manifestations of lupus. So having these two new drugs as of 2020 is a, is a huge deal and a, a huge move forward uh, in the lupus space. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it was it's amazing to us, uh, you know, from outside the medical community that those were able to be pushed through during the time of COVID. Yeah. So, um, I but we're, hey, we're very excited about that. The fact that there's additional medications. Yeah. Patients. Yeah. And I think it really speaks to what's happening in the background, uh, the scientific background of lupus. And, you know, we've had so many new breakthroughs in terms of learning pathogenic mechanisms or the mechanisms that cause uh, symptoms in lupus patients. And I say this all the time to my lupus patients, no one's lupus is the same. Yes. So everybody's lupus fingerprint is different. Uh, the way that your lupus affects your body is going to be different from pretty much any other person uh, with lupus. Mm -hmm. And therefore, different medicines are going to work better for one person versus another. Um, so what I really mean by that is, you know, these medicines that we've really had prior to currently, they are immunosuppressive in a very general way. So steroids, um, you know, even aspirin, uh, some of these high doses of chemotherapies, they immunosuppress you in a very broad way. A lot of mechanisms in your body that help fight disease are, are really brought down. And now that we have a more a better understanding about the mechanisms of lupus, we have what's called targeted therapies. And what that means is we target specific pathways that might be affecting you personally versus just a kind of blanket immunosuppressive medicine um, of which prednisone is really kind of the big, the big player. Okay. So that's huge because as everybody knows, prednisone is really a great medicine for lupus, but um, also really terrible for the rest of the body. It does control things quickly and get inflammation under control, but we need to do better in terms of finding steroid sparing medicines. Okay. And there, are there any examples that you can think of? I know we don't want to necessarily get down into all these different studies and all these different trials that are going on, but is there an example of something that you could share that maybe has been discovered recently where there's uh, maybe a more specific pathway or a more specific thing that they're looking mm -hmm. at in um, lupus patients that they may be able to target? Yeah, that's okay. a great question. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's a lot of different mechanisms out there. Um, you know, the, the ones that we've used prior have been targeting the B cells. So your white blood cells, you have B, B cells and T cells, and they both play a role in lupus. Uh, Benlista is a great drug example that affects the B cells. And now we have drugs that affect things like interferon. And this is a, a chemical in the body that causes a lot of inflammation. And a lot of lupus patients have elevated levels of interferon. Uh, in fact, it's something now that we're looking at you to test patients to see what their interferon level or their interference signature is. That's sort of the new the new term for that. Okay. Um, and if we can determine which patients have a high interference signature or high levels of interferon, these medicines that target interferon would probably be more useful. And there's about two of them that are up and coming, um, you know, in, in the in the lupus space right now. So anafrolamab is actually one that does target um, interferon, but there's a few more that are maybe a little bit more potent um, that we're seeing for both systemic lupus and lupus on the skin or cutaneous lupus. Is there an easy way to um, find out the 
interferon levels? Is it a blood test or mm -hmm. is it something? Okay. So it's something that's kind of easy to look at in a, in a patient to determine if they'd be eligible mm -hmm. for that medication. It's relatively easy in terms of finding what the signature is. Now, the question is, what does it mean if your signature is a little bit higher than someone else, but they're not responding to the interferon medicines, which, you know, that happens all the time that we see in clinical trials. And it's something that we can't explain. So it's not just the level of this, you know, signature that you have. It's specifically kind of what kind of interferon and, you know, Okay. Um, when you're flaring, does the interferon level go up or down? Um, so there's still a lot of moving parts that we're figuring out, but that's all in the in the process of what's new and happening in lupus. Right. It's got to be crazy. I know we often talk about, and when we're talking with different physicians and different people across the world of lupus, you know, saying it's this umbrella and mm -hmm. uh, every patient sort of looks so different, but it might end up someday being many, many different diseases that sort of fall under this umbrella. So I know they're looking into that a lot. When we were at the State House on Tuesday, um, we actually were sort of asked that question is, mm -hmm. um, you know, and they're asking, why is it so, why does it take so long to um, uh, diagnose lupus? Mm -hmm. And we kind of explained the fact that no patient looks the same as another, you know, yep. whereas mine might affect my lungs and others might affect their kidneys or their central nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's fascinating that they're getting to the point where they have that type of knowledge that they can really um, look into the body and figure out exactly where it's sort of like cancer treatments these yep. days. Yep. They're kind of the same. They're very targeted, targeted mm -hmm. very targeted therapy. So yeah, this is something that we call precision medicine. Okay. We're becoming more precise. We're not just right. pounding people with high doses of, you know, whatever kind of medicine. But I, I agree. I mean, I, I see, I see what you're saying about it being many different diseases. I think in the lupus space from the physician perspective, we accept that it is probably a few diseases that we're calling lupus. Um, and I say that because, uh, you know, the heterogeneity of lupus is incredibly vast, as you know. Yeah. You know, some people have lupus just on the skin and they have just one antibody in the blood, where other people have lupus in the kidney or in the heart and then the, in the brain, um, and they have a completely different profile in their blood. So how can we be calling both of these lupus? Um, and what we do know is that there are similarities throughout. So there's, you know, the positive ANA, the positive antibodies in the blood. Uh, patients are typically very sun sensitive. There's usually family history somewhere of some type, some type of autoimmune disease. So that's why we ask those questions when we see patients for the first time, because we're trying to get any sense of autoimmunity or any sense of, you know, um, lupus-like symptoms that may have been going on for years and years and years that really now are coming coming to fruition. So it's really tough to diagnose lupus. Uh, you know, yes. as you mentioned, five to 10 years often it takes, and that's just not, that's just not acceptable. That's not right. good enough. Right. So we're still working on biomarkers for, for detecting lupus early. And that's something that my personal research reflects and the LFA has supported me in. Um, but that's a, another kind of space that's, you know, up and coming. Right. Right. That's, it, it's interesting. It's just interesting to me to see the shift over the, the period of time because, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, I think, you know, when you talk about diagnosis, I know Suzanne and myself both had the experience of a very long period of time mm -hmm. where we went and it was like, what is going on? They, they would always say, you know, to me, I know something's wrong. You know, we can tell something's wrong, but what is it? And then, of course, over time, it becomes more apparent because more things are figured out. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just think it's interesting. And I'm hoping that, you know, with these new targeted therapies um, and, and figuring out things like interferon and those things that are, are showing sort of more and more that we're able to maybe come to a quicker diagnosis. Do you think that that is something that will happen? Yeah, I agree. I hope that as well. Um, you know, we we're looking for different biomarkers that might show up early. So what we've been looking at to date is things that you know about an ANA test, a double-stranded DNA, an anti-Smith antibody, these things that are very traditional in lupus. 
But sometimes they're so low level that they don't become apparent or detectable in the serum until someone's already very, very sick. Right. And that's incredibly frustrating for They feel terrible symptoms, but their blood work is normal. Um, so I think we're, we're moving towards looking at either interferon as an early biomarker or there's all these other kind of antibody profiles that are, are being looked at because um, if we can recognize this earlier, we can do treatment earlier, which potentially can prevent progression of disease, right. which is really one of the things that we're not, you know, we haven't really figured out yet. Um, right. How do we pre prevent, prevent this from progressing other than the use of Plaquenil, which we know is a medicine that can prevent progression of, of this disease. So right. that's, that's really would be the ideal, you know, this preclinical phase that we call. So preclinical is before patients get diagnosed, uh, but you have symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's how do we change people from a preclinical situation to a clinical situation? And there's a lot of studies now looking at, at what that means and how we can affect change there. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. And do you feel like, um, I guess, with some of these tests um, and, and some of the medications that are being developed in response to some of the symptoms that are, or I guess the, the uh, blood work or various clinical things that are directing the development of these drugs, um, are most of these drugs sort of in the... Um, I guess, monoclonal antibody space? Mm -hmm. Like, are we targeting, is that it? Or are there going to be some that are pill form? Yeah, or, that's a yeah, great question. Yeah. Um, the targeted, yes. So the yes. autoantibodies, obviously, we, you know, these therapies are, are wonderful. It's really tough to give patients medicines that are um, targeting one antibody because they have so many in lupus. Yeah. So these monoclonals that target just like one antigen or one protein in a lupus patient might be, you know, ignoring the more pathogenic ones or the ones that are causing more harm. Mm. So we are doing that. A lot of the meds that we have now are looking at different, you know, um, pathways to, to target one antigen or one receptor. Mm -hmm. Anaphrolimab is one of them. And a lot of these new ones, lidofidumab, you know, they, they are also are doing that as well. But some of the most exciting um, new therapies that are coming out are actually looking to target um, many different receptors. And let me give you an example about that. So CAR T therapy is this new hot thing in lupus. Um, I have a lot of lupus patients who come in and they say, Dr. Littlejohn, I've read about CAR T. I've heard of, I've heard of yeah, it myself, so I, I don't want to talk about, about it. it. <laughs> it's really exciting. It's very interesting, but I just want to warn everyone that's very preliminary. So the studies that have been done have had five patients total. These patients were all very young, I think 16 to 24, um, and they were very resistant disease, meaning that they've been through things like mycophenolate and celicept or azathioprine or imuran, um, rituximab and other types of infusions. And they've really, nothing has changed their lupus profile. They're very sick wow. patients. Okay. So these are very sick patients and they were also very young patients. So, um, you know, that's not always the typical lupus patient, right? right? Yeah. But what they do with this therapy is they take the blood uh, and the white blood cells from, from patients mm -hmm. and they filter them out. And then they infect them with a viral vector, which then gets ingrained into your, your cells that have been taken out. And then they put them back in you. Okay. And that viral vector then can target lupus cells. So it basically kind of kills lupus cells using your, your own body's supply of white blood cells. Interesting. Yeah. So we, were, we take these white blood cells out. We give the patient chemotherapy in the meantime to kind of reset their body and hopefully calm down the lupus. And then we transfect their cells and put them back in them. Okay. So it's not a bone marrow transplant, but the idea is the same in that you are taking out, you know, these very important cells, doing something to them and putting them back in. Okay. Um, I think it's very promising. All five of these patients went into remission. Wow. All five of these patients, you know, they, they, they couldn't find evidence of their disease and they were able to kind of completely come off medicines eventually. Uh, they only followed them for a short amount of time. You know, it wasn't on the span of years. I think it was a year and a half. Uh, so we're still understanding those five patients, but if we're able to kind of harness this therapy, this 
CAR T cell therapy, I think it would be, you know, change the game. Absolutely. Yeah, because it, sure. it's almost like putting someone into remission very quickly. Yeah. Um, we just don't have the data to show that you can sustain the remission. Right, right. And is it done one time? Yes. So, so okay. far it's done one time. And a lot of sites around here, um, actually including Cleveland Clinic, uh, mm-hmm. have been chosen to do uh, another um, another kind of phase two of this trial. So okay. we're looking at, you know, to do these things, we just need to get more data and more data over time. Because right. as you know, all these new medicines come with side effects and mm-hmm. risks. And uh, we wouldn't want to introduce another problem to a patient who's already very sick with, with lupus. So for sure, for sure. That sounds, um, I don't know, it sounds... You know, always from a patient perspective, you're thinking about, you know, we have a lot of people call in and they're like, well, you know, my doctor wants me to start on Benlista, for example, and, but I'm afraid of needles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think patients a lot of times are weighing, do I really want to do this? What's the side effects? You know, they're always going through that process. Um, that one sounds kind of nice because it's sort of like at this point, a one and done. <laughs> it is nice, I mean, but it does require like a two-week hospitalization. Two-week I will hospitalization. say that. Okay. So yeah. it's, uh, it, it would be nice if it works, right? Yes. Because then we can put people in remission. Uh, but... Go to the hospital for two weeks, be done with yeah. lupus. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I don't want to romanticize it and say I that it's perfect because it, I, I do think it's arduous. You yeah. know, you're taking this people's blood out. They're getting high doses of chemo for 14 days. And then we put them back in and we watch them for a while. So anytime you reintroduce, you know, anything that's um, immune changing or immune modifying back into the body, there's a chance to flare. There's a chance to have a reaction, you know, allergic or otherwise. Uh, So again, there's a lot of potential side effects, which is what we're still figuring out. But the initial data with those five patients was very promising. That's exciting. Um, So it's just an exciting time to be in the lupus space and in the treatment space in particular. But I think, you know, in the next five years, things will absolutely change. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's crazy to me as we were talking before this, just in the last 10 years, let alone, you know, all the things that have changed, Mm -hmm. let alone what we're heading into, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I know that other diseases are feeling the same thing. They're becoming, you know, medicine's becoming so targeted and they're able to just really figure out a lot more, which is very exciting from a patient perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's really exciting from a physician perspective as well, but I like to hear that. Um, is there, are there any other therapies that you're kind of seeing on the horizon that? Yeah. Um, so I think targeting the, the B cells is very promising. I know, like I mentioned, we have bilibumab, which is a similar medicine. Um, there's uh, other medicines that are targeting these these inflammatory, they're called cytokines. So basically they're um, like factors to increase growth of a lot of our immune cells. And instead of you know having monoclonals that target these cells directly, it, it kind of targets things that promote the cell growth. Okay. And so potentially it's a little bit more gentle and, and not as invasive to the body to do that. Um, there are some drugs out there, again, looking at interferon receptors versus the interferon itself. And I think there's a lot there to be said because interferon is seemingly playing a huge role in our lupus patients. Um, and then, of course, the, those medicines that affect the, the T cells, such as baclosporin or tacrolimus, which we've already had. But there's a lot to kind of be done in, in that T cell space as well. So I think I think there's probably other other drugs out there that are even phase one that I don't even know about that are right. different mechanisms. But those are the ones that I think we're most excited about. So my vision would be in the future that when we see a new patient and they're diagnosed with lupus, we can do some sort of test that would say, OK, start them on Plaquenil, and then what's the next step? So should we try a B-cell depleter like Benlista, or should we go right to something that's an anti-metabolite like Cellcept or azathioprine? Um, or should we you know, go to plan B, which could be any other mechanism? But right now, it's unfortunately been a catch-all approach um, based on which organs are involved versus based on which organs of your body in particular are, right. are involved. So right. I think we're getting there. I think the oncology space is ahead of us in that way yeah. because they have all these new tests and new genetic markers and things like that, but mm-hmm. we're not, we're not quite there, but I would, 
I would envision that for the future. We're moving in that direction, <laughs> I know. And I think patients would be really, really excited um, just in general to have different options too, just from the standpoint of, um, you know, as you mentioned, one size doesn't necessarily fit all with lupus patients, mm -hmm. but um, the side effects that come with them are always a concern from our perspective. And you always want something that is going to, you know, not impact everything else because you already have enough to deal mm -hmm. with, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like the more therapies, the better chance there is that something's going to work for you. And maybe if this doesn't work, this might work and maybe has less side effects for you and vice, vice versa. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very exciting time in the world of lupus, yeah. if, if, my opinion, but um, that's what I think. And, um, you know, I hope for patients, I think is the biggest, the yeah. biggest thing. And it's, yeah. it's organizations like yours though, that really help us do this kind of work, you know, getting patients in the door, providing them with the resources, supporting the physicians. I really can't thank LFA enough. I, I think they've been amazing for me in particular, but for lupus in general and lupus physicians. So, well, thank you. We thank appreciate you so much, that though. a lot. I know, um, you know, our job is to really help support you in a lot of ways because we mm -hmm. know that, you know, you guys, your time is limited. There's lots of patients coming in and out the door. And so any other additional information we can provide them, you know, hopefully it lifts your burden a little bit. So yes, well, it, it absolutely has. So <laughs> well, good. well, good. Well, thank you, Dr. Littlejohn. We appreciate you coming in today. You're welcome. Thank you um, for having really me. appreciate you having uh, the time to come out here. So thank Remember, there is no I in lupus, but there is an us. Until next time, this has been my lupus living room with the Lupus Foundation of America's Great Ohio Chapter. For more information and resources to help you in your lupus journey, please visit lupusgreatoohio.org or call 1-888-NO-LUPUS. The funding for my lupus living room is an earmark from the state of Ohio and managed by the Ohio Department of Health. Your physician is the best person to help you in the treatment of lupus. The information you learned here today can be discussed with your doctor as your physician knows your medical history best. Please do not make any medical changes without consulting your physician first. As with any treatment, stay educated and get information from, from trusted sources.